Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Crime with a K. My name's Kelsey and I'm your host. Just a, just a heads up, there's a very big possibility that my mom could walk in to the episode and just start talking about something. Um, so I'm at my parents today, so I had to record here and I didn't tell them that I was recording. I just kind of like went upstairs and shut the door and I just, <laughs> you know, I know it's going to happen. So just like be prepared if you just hear some random talking in the background, it'll be my mom. But so... With that being said, I know that the past two weeks we have had some pretty heavy topics that we covered and I promised you guys that I would lighten up this week. And then also too, I wanted to do something other than a murder because like I said, this podcast is going to span across more than just murder. I want it to be like different crimes and things like that. And actually, keeping on theme with my mom, my mom's actually the one that told me about this. Um, She recently watched a Netflix documentary on it and then asked us all to go with her. So I think I'll be going to this place um, probably within the next month or so. But today's case is about the um, heist of the Boston Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. So we'll jump into that, what that is, what happened, the theories, um, because it's still unsolved. And there is a hefty ass reward, $10 million. So if you guys know anything, let me know and then I can let them know. (laughs) Just kidding. If you know anything, I'll I'll leave the links below. But um, yeah, it's it's just crazy that it's that much money as a reward. Like who wouldn't want to tattle at that point? God, I'd be the snitch in a heartbeat. Unless it was, like, my family, then obviously, like, I wouldn't, or, like, my friends, but, like, if I got some random news on the street. Okay, anyways, okay. So, um, COTD, since I'm down at my parents' today, I usually come down here and I'll get, like, Starbucks or I'll get Mary Lou's if you're a South Shore person like I am, but I wanted to do something different for you guys today because I haven't done a small business yet, so I went to the farm. I actually think it's called Phantom Farms, but if you're from around here, you call it the farm. And I got an iced coffee with, it was, it's toffee caramel and it's brewed in the beans. So like there's no syrup or anything. And then I got a little bit of oat milk and it's so good. Oh my God. It's so good. I got a large. <gasps> mm, so yummy. So I got that. And then my good news, <laughs> again, the, it's like the unnamed segment that we just keep naming each time. I it's the good news of the week or like something I'm looking forward to or something that made me happy it's just like Kelsey's fun fact of the week okay I ended up booking a very spontaneous trip um, for less than two weeks from now so when you guys are hearing this it'll be way less than two weeks 
um, I'll be in South America. So one of my friends and I pretty much the conversation went, hey, (laughs) I really want to go to, you know, XYZ or um, Africa. And she was like, oh, I want to go to XYZ. And I was like, should we go? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, like, actually, and she was like, yeah. And then next thing I know, we booked a flight and had nowhere to stay. And we were just like, it's fine if we have to sleep on the floor. You know, it is what it is. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's exciting. I'll be in South America in under two weeks. And I'm going to cover a case next week's episode will be me and that friend. Her name's Shannon. Shannon um, quit her job to travel the world for a year and she has tons of crazy stories of like scary things that happened to her. So I'm going to have her on next week. You guys will hear from her. And then the, or maybe not, no, I don't think it's next week. It might be the week after. Either way, within the next two episodes, you're going to hear from Shannon. And then I'll share some of my crazy travel stories too. And then, um, the week that we're in South America, I'll actually give you a case of the country that we're in. This is actually known as the biggest heist in modern day history, and it's known as the world's largest art heist. So it's kind of crazy that it happened here in Boston. And so basically, I'm going to read you the story from the museum's website just because that's kind of the only place that really had information on the story and they wrote it so well that I'm like, I'm just going to read it to them because if I I like change the wording, it's not going to be as great. So, um, and you get to see also too, interesting. I looked at the photos of the art that was stolen and I've definitely seen these pieces before, like in wherever. Um, so you guys definitely have too. So in the early hours, of March 18th, 1990, a vehicle pulled up near the side entrance of the museum. Two men in police uniforms pushed the museum buzzer, stated that they were responding to a disturbance, and requested to be let in. The guard on duty broke protocol and allowed them through the employee entrance. At the fake officer's request, he stepped away from the watch desk and they were armed with pistols. He and a second security guard were handcuffed and tied up in the basement of the museum. I'll post photos on Instagram, too, of the security guards that were tied up. The thieves departed with 13 of the gardener's works of art 81 minutes later. The museum was equipped with motion detectors, so the thieves' movements were recorded. The best-known works of art that were taken were taken from the Dutch room. They cut Rembrandt's Christ in the Storm of the Sea of Galilee and a lady and gentleman in black from their frames, removed Vermeer's The Concert and Flink's Landscape with an obelisk some of these words are really hard from their frames pulled an ancient chinese bronze gu or beaker from a table and took a small self-portrait etching by rembrandt from the side of a chest in the short gallery on the same floor as the dutch room five dagus drawings in a bronze eagle finial were stolen manet's chez tortoni was taken from the blue room The thieves departed at 2.45 a.m. after making two separate trips to their car with the artwork. The guards remained handcuffed until police arrived at 8.15 a.m. The return of the gardener's works remains a top priority. The museum, the FBI, and the U.S. Attorney's Office are still seeking viable leads that could result in in a safe return of the art. The museum is offering a $10 million reward for information leading directly to the safe return of the stolen works. Um... A share of the reward would be given in exchange for information leading to the restitution of any portion of the works, but if you were to find all of it, you get $10 million. 
A separate reward of 100000 is being offered for the return of the Napoleonic Eagle Finial. Um, today in the museum, empty frames remain hanging as a placeholder for the missing works and as symbols of hope awaiting their return. Anyone with information about the stolen artwork should contact Director of Security Anthony Amour, and I'll put his information on Instagram. Confidentiality is assured. So that's pretty much what happened. I couldn't find any other information because, again, like the museum really wasn't that heavy on security, which is kind of interesting if you think about the amount of artwork that was in that museum and like how expensive it was and just the fact that the security was so light. So the reason I'm covering this is because one, the Netflix documentary came out, but also recently on March 3rd, police in Boston have a new lead essentially. So Anthony Amor, who's chief of security for the Gardner Museum, told a news um, reporter that a recent tipster actually prompted officials to take another look at the criminal Jimmy Marks. Jimmy Marks was a known career criminal, um, and the tipster said that the killing may have possible links to the heist. So on on a February night, 11 months after the heist, Marks was gunned down while unlocking the front door to his apartment in Lynn, Massachusetts, which is right outside of Boston. Um, The killer had unscrewed the light bulb over the door to ensure that Jimmy Marks wouldn't see what was coming and that he'd have to fumble with his keys to get into his apartment. The attack made this a classic mob-style hit as the assailant shot Marks twice in the back of the head and then fled the scene. His murder still remains unsolved today. According to the tip that Amor received just days before he was murdered, Marx was reportedly heard bragging about possessing two of the stolen paintings and that he had hidden several of the stolen artworks. Jimmy Marx did have connections to certain subjects suspected of being involved in the Gardner Museum heist, and Lynn Deputy Police Chief Mark O'Toole told the Boston Globe, quote, We don't know what, if any, role he had, but it was very likely it was related. Um, So Jimmy Marks was friendly with a fellow mafia guy who was known as the late Robert Bobby Garenti. Definitely saying that wrong, but it's fine. (laughs) Don't come for me. Um, And Bobby has been a prime suspect in the Gardner Museum heist case, as well as his family. Garenti and his friend Bobby Donati possibly helped to transport some of the stolen paintings from Boston to Connecticut and eventually Philadelphia. Jimmy Mark spent time in prison for a bank robbery in the 1960s, um, stated by the Boston Globe, but as a drug dealer with tons of connections around the Boston, you know, criminal elite, Jimmy Marks also spent a significant amount of time at the home of the Garentis in Maine. Jimmy Mark's niece, Darlene Finnegan, she was 26 years old at the time of his murder, but she told the Boston Globe that shortly before his death, Marx told her that he had, quote, something big coming up and he wasn't sure if he was going to do it, quote. At the time, his niece, um, Darlene, thought that he was just referencing selling cocaine or um, trafficking drugs because that's what he would do. And then another connection between Marx and the, th- and the heist emerged in 2015 when Elaine Garenti, who was Bobby's widow, pointed to a picture of Marx during an interview with investigators and declared that her husband had killed him. Bobby Grandy died in 2004 and Elaine died in 2018. Another thing is that 
Um, Bobby Garenti, before he died, was obsessed with all of this artwork and would constantly be writing down on pieces of paper which pieces were missing and how much they were valued at um, and how much he could get for them, which was interesting. So Amore brought these findings to the media, so the Boston Herald, the Boston Globe, and pretty much all the Boston news outlets, with the hopes that the renewed press attention might yield more clues for the Gardner Museum heist. And again, like they say, those who might have information about the circumstances of Mark's death or the fate of the Gardner Museum paintings can contact the museum's uh, tip line. So, like I said, there is a new Netflix docu-series, and it's called This is a Robbery, the World's Biggest Art Heist. I haven't watched it yet. That's actually on my list to do today. Um, But my mom watched it, and she said it was really good. So these are just some of the theories that that docu-series, and that way you can kind of, you know, see which one you think, or if you have any other theories, or when you watch it, um, you know, what what you think happened. So... A lot of people think that it was an inside job because if you're somebody that's spending a lot of time in the museum, you know where the most valuable art pieces are. You know how to escape the scene. You know, especially if you're a security guard, like you know the whole essentially nighttime routine of what's going to happen and you can make it look like it. you were robbed and duct taped and bound, but then you can make off like a bandit. Um, so Rick Abath was one of the two security guards who was duct taped and handcuffed and put in the basement during the heist. At the time, he was, he was 23 years old and he was a music school dropout. He regularly showed up to work high. He, and I guess like the night before, buzzed in a figure captured on surveillance footage. Um, he let them in through the same door that he later unlocked for the thieves. And he was the one who unlocked the door for the two thieves to come in. And in this docuseries, they point out that the thieves left an empty frame on the chair of the museum's security director. And Rick Abath and the director did not get along at all. And Rick had put in his two-week notice right before this heist happened. Additionally, he opened a back door minutes before the two armed men arrived, and he told investigators that opening um, the door was common practice for him. He did this every night. However, that that's never been found to be true. So Rick was a suspect early on. And though he's always maintained that he had nothing to do with the heist, he never returned to his job at the museum. And he was questioned extensively by the FBI in 2013, he ended up telling the Boston Globe that a federal investigator had ho- had told him just a few years prior that they were never going to eliminate him as a suspect, which I kind of wouldn't either because this is all strange. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, Ricky, Bobby, this ain't looking good for you. Um, so Rob Fisher, the assistant U.S. attorney in charge of the Gardner investigation from 2010 to 2016, said that it's extremely hard for him to believe that the suspects did not have any prior knowledge to the museum or to the fact that they'd be allowed in. Um, The door that they used to gain entry was essentially a man trap, which basically means that it had two sets of doors that they needed to be buzzed through separately for each one. So, you know, the doors that you get buzzed in, then you're in this like little holding thing and then you have to buzz in the next one. 
So if the guards did find someone suspicious, they could have held them indefinitely and securely between those two doors. And it's very rare that guards would just let anyone in, including people dressed as police officers. Because why would you let somebody in? Like, why would you let police in for being called to a scene of a disturbance when you're the only two people at that museum? And obviously, if you didn't call, you'd be like, mm, kind of weird because I have not been disturbed until this very moment. You are disturbing me. So the second theory, I kind of am more on that one. Sorry, but I'm just jumping the gun. That's kind of, I think what happened is that Rickabath was paid by these mafia guys to let them in. Like he got a chunk of change to be the one to let them in. Other people think that it was Miles Connor who did this. And Miles Connor is an art thief and a musician. So... Miles Connor was a former rock and roll performer and he had a baby leopard and a parrot and he also had a history of art theft. And he said, quote, some people consider me the biggest art thief in the country because I robbed a number of museums. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, he'd been conducting art heists since the 1960s and he, that included stealing a Rembrandt from the Boston Museum of Fine Arts in 1975. And while he admitted to casing the gardener, he was behind bars during the 1990 heist. However, that has not stopped any rumors and theories that he did have some involvement in the heist as he knows how to rob museums and he knows which pieces of art are the most expensive and the most valuable. So Connor is also the son of a police officer and a member of the Mensa, which is a society reserved for people with high IQs. Wait, okay, I have FOMO. <laughs> um, he had convictions for selling cocaine as well as a shocking 1981 conviction for murdering two women in Quincy, Massachusetts, which is another town right outside of Boston. However, that verdict was overturned on an appeal, and that's from the Patriot Ledger. Other people, so th so other people think it's a mob job. I think it's a mob job mixed with an inside job. I think that the mob went to somebody on the inside and was like, okay, who can we use here? Who will be good for this plan? So this is the theory that the FBI is the strongest on, which I kind of agree with because like like a single person can't just rob 500 million dollars of something like that's so that's like organized crime and you wouldn't be able to just be like two joe schmoes and pull that off so um the fbi has theorized that two local criminals with mob ties george reisfelder and leonard demusio stole the art but died one year later after the heist and the Boston Globe reported that DiMuzio was found shot to death in East Boston shortly after Reisfelder died of an apparent cocaine overdose. The two were acquaintances of New England Mafia associate Carmelo Merlino, and Merlino allegedly bragged to informants that he was going to recover the artwork and collect the reward. He was arrested in an unrelated 1999 sting and died in prison in 2005. Law enforcement offered him leniency if he could return the stolen art, but he was unable to produce um, any of the paintings. 
The FBI believes that convicted bank robber and mob associate Robert, who went by Unc Garanti, was the most likely recipient of the art. So Bobby, like we said earlier, he died in 2004. And like I said, his wife told the FBI in 2010 that her husband confessed that he gave two paintings to alleged Connecticut mobster Robert Gentile, who's now still alive and in his 80s. The FBI claims that Gentile tried to sell the paintings to an undercover FBI agent, but the mobster denies any involvement. Okay, but you can't, if you, (sighs) wouldn't he not, like, wouldn't they not have to claim it if they had it? Because they could be like, no, you did. It's right here. (laughs) Um, And when the FBI came out and said that he tried to do that, he said they can say what they want. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. Okay. Um, Then there's another theory that involved Miles Connor's good friend, Bobby Donati. And Bobby Donati was an associate of a powerful New England patriarchal crime family. And Connor basically told Vanity Fair in 1997 that he believed that Donati was involved. Um. The This is a Robbery docuseries points out that Donati was once caught carrying two Boston police uniforms from the same department that at least one witness believed that they saw as the suspects entering the museum from the street. Donati was found stabbed to death and nearly beheaded in the trunk of an abandoned Cadillac in Revere, Massachusetts in 1991. Can you hear my mom laughing? <laughs> that was not a good, that was not a good time. Um, Revere's also right next to Lynn. So those towns are right next to each other, uh, north of Boston. After his death, an informant allegedly claimed that the Gardner heist was initially commissioned by a powerful international organized crime figure and that there were more than five thieves involved. The five were supposedly paid $100,000 a piece for their roles, but the alleged deal apparently went bad. Um, and they failed to get him at least two of the artworks that he specifically requested, so he was not going to pay up at all. Another theory is that this was um, done out by art thief and screenwriter Brian Michael McDevitt, and a cloud of suspicion was also cast over former art robber turned award-winning screenwriter Brian Michael McDevitt. His fingerprints were one of the first to be sent to FBI headquarters after the heist. And there were clear, you know, similarities between the Gardner case and McDevitt's 1981 attempted robbery of the Hyde Collection in Glen Falls, New York. And during that incident, McDevitt and a partner hijacked a FedEx truck, posed as employees of the shipping company in order to gain access to the museum. They carried in handcuffs and duct tape to restrain the guards, but ended up getting stuck in traffic and arrived at the museum shortly after it had closed. They were later identified by the FedEx driver that they kidnapped and they were arrested. Riveting. Riveting. McDevitt was living in Boston during the Gardner heist, but ended up moving to California shortly after. Um, though he became an award-winning freelance screenwriter, he was still a suspect in the robbery and he was questioned by the FBI and did go before a grand jury. 
McDevitt gave an extensive interview to both the New York Times and 60 Minutes in which he denied any involvement of the Gardner Museum heist, but his former girlfriend, Stephanie Rabinowitz, claimed in 1992 that he had confided in her that he was paid $300,000 to rob the Gardner Museum and that he had to leave the country as a result. McDevitt died in Columbia in 2004. So that's pretty much all the theories. My theory of this entire thing is that, also, I don't have the iPad today, so I can't close it. I have my laptop. My theory is that there's tons, like, I think that this was a mob hit. I think that somebody big organized this. I think that tons of people were involved because you don't just... You don't just steal $500 million of art and, like, put it in the back of your Toyota Corolla or your, like, Chevy Suburban and then, like, zoom off back to freaking, I don't know, North Attleboro, Massachusetts and be like, all right, (laughs) did it. Because, like, the thing is, like, my mom made a good point. Art is only valuable because it's supposed to be seen. Like, the reason that the Mona Lisa is like so valuable is because people go to see it and want to see it. So if you think about like a mob boss, they probably have a huge house with parties. That artwork is going to be like a wow in that house. Your like your art is nothing if it's just like tucked away in your basement collecting dust. So why would you want you know what I mean? It's like, well why would you want the art? Because it's not like they held it for ransom. I mean, this was 32 years ago and it's still, the trail went cold in Philadelphia. They tracked the art all the way, the FBI tracked the art all the way to Philadelphia and then the trail went cold. So it went from Boston to Connecticut to Philadelphia and then it's, it's from there. They don't know where it went. So I think that's also interesting is that you, again, have to have tons of people involved in order to be transporting that much art and all of these people having an alibi as to where they were and what whatever. But I also think it's interesting that every single person that the FBI thought was involved wound up being murdered like a year, two years, three years, however many years after the heist. Like they were all murdered. So it's kind of like, okay, kill off the people that we told to do something so they don't speak and now us higher ups have I don't know I'm like getting so into it but that's just what I think I personally believe that it was a mob hit with tons of people involved and unfortunately I don't think I don't think that art will ever find its way back until whoever that top person is dies and all of a sudden somebody just like finds it at a yard sale or something like do you know what I mean like somebody like to me like I would never know if a piece of art is valuable I would just kind of be like, oh, okay, like, that's, like, old art. So, anyways, that's today's case. Um, I wanted to keep it short and light for you guys and just kind of make you think a little bit. Watch the new Netflix docuseries. If you're from Massachusetts, go um, visit the museum. Also, this made it sound like Massachusetts is full of mobsters, and it totally is. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, But we have a lot of, like, Irish and Italian... um, roots here so there was a lot of um contention between those two and mobs and mafias and all that um so the 90s was an interesting time the 80s and 90s let me tell you of massachusetts maybe i'll dive into that history at one point because that's like so fascinating to me like whitey bulger so fascinating to me um just everything like that so i hope you guys enjoyed this episode if you did make sure you download it because that really does support my podcast 
Um, I feel like my voice is kind of gross today, but uh, yeah, so I will see you guys next week, I think, in the episode with Shannon, and if it's not that, then I will see you next week doing whatever it is that we do here on Crime with a K. Follow me on Instagram, at Crime with a K, send me a DM, follow my YouTube at hello.kelsey, watch behind the scenes, and then, yeah, I hope you guys have a good week. Happy Monday.